Welcome to the Happy Saver podcast. I'm Ruth, a blogger on personal finance right here in New Zealand. And on this podcast, I tell the stories of Kiwis and their experiences with the money in their lives. You will hear helpful, relatable stories from Kiwis who are giving their tips and point of view on personal finance here in New Zealand. And personal finance is indeed deeply personal. This week, I'm going to share the story of Linda, a woman in her early 50s who has had a huge shift in mindset over the last 10 months. She was actually surprised that I wanted to speak with her and even wondered if she had anything useful to say. Well, I can tell you she overcame her concerns pretty quickly as she started to tell me about the transformation both her and her finances have undergone in the last year. And I think that her being able to voice her journey out loud actually reinforced just how far she's actually come and that if she can do it, then so can you. But before I share Linda's journey, I just had a quick message from Hatch, today's sponsor. I'm excited to have Hatch supporting today's episode because for the first time they make investing in the world's most recognisable companies and funds easy and affordable. Hatch is Kiwi Wealth's digital investing platform. As part of the Kiwi Group family, they are 100% Kiwi owned and are committed to helping Kiwis live their best lives. Hatch can help you build your own personalised investment portfolios packed with the things you care about. It's smart to invest regularly for your future and now is as good a time as any to start. But knowledge is power, so kick off your investing journey with the Hatch Getting Started course. The Getting Started course can give you the confidence to invest when you're ready. Daily emails will teach you everything you need to know to buy your first shares on the US share markets and best of all, it's free. To learn more, head to hatch.as forward slash the happy saver start investing. Linda's journey with money had just been trundling along year in, year out for, oh I don't know, about 52 years. But in July 2019, there was to be a bit of a change in direction when she started to question the status quo and wondered if not paying her house off until she was in her mid-70s was the best idea after all. This amicably divorced mother of three enjoys her career working in a training role in the education sector for a government department, thankfully a safe one in these COVID-19 times of uncertainty, and she said straight off the bat that she does not have many proud financial moments in her life, but being asked to be on my podcast is one of them, and she was genuinely surprised that I thought that she has something to offer, which indeed I think she has. She also warned me that she could talk for an Olympic sport, and she found a true competitor in me, I can tell you that much. I think we spoke for three hours, which is another reason why I don't record our conversations. No one wants to listen to a three-hour podcast. Now, Linda lives with about a third of the population of New Zealand, up in Auckland, where she has spent her entire life. She said of her parents that they were very working class. Her mum worked in a factory that manufactured lampshades of all things, and her dad was a taxi driver. Money was not ever really talked about by anyone in her life while she was growing up, but it didn't mean that she didn't have an awareness of it and feel the friction between her parents. She said that the only real thing she really remembers about money is that her father suffered from some form of mental illness and that when he would begin to become mentally unwell, he would enter manic episodes where he would spend a lot, which, unbeknown to her, would push the whole family into debt. 
This was in the 1970s where there was a gender disparity with the man's role being to handle the money in a marriage. But due to his illness, he would mishandle the family finances, have a breakdown and create a huge mess. Then Linda's mother had to step in and be left to cope with raising three children and sorting out all the debt. And it was a cycle that was to keep repeating until her parents divorced when Linda was about 16 years old. Reflecting back on her upbringing, she thinks that she internalised the message of needing to stand on her own two feet and not depend on a partner to be able to provide for you. When she finished high school, she completed a three-year course at Teachers College, marrying her long-term boyfriend in her second year while he was completing a trade apprenticeship. They were both just 20 years old and when she finished her study, she began to work as a teacher. He grew up in Tonga in a large family of siblings and extended whānau, a lovely person, she said, who would give you the shirt off his back. His own father had come to New Zealand on his own to work and raise money to support a family member back home, but tragically he lost his life in a workplace accident, which must have come as a massive blow to his large whānau. So money was tight for her husband growing up, and whatever he had was shared, and in turn, whatever others had was shared with him. Linda said that neither of them were good with money from the get-go. With both of them studying in the early days of their marriage, money was tight. Then at the age of 24, having the first of their three children meant Linda had several spells out on maternity leave. And then to compound matters further, her husband did further unpaid study during one of those pregnancies, and after which he then decided to become self-employed. And she said that in hindsight, he was and is exactly the type of person a bit of an ideas man, a bit of a dreamer, who should not become self-employed, as he didn't have the discipline around handling money to ever be successful, and that made supporting a family extremely difficult. She said that there were many low points in regards to money, such as the times when their power and phone were cut off because they just couldn't afford to pay the bill, and she recalled the humiliation of begging her power company to put the power back on because she had babies at home to care for. Linda said that she came from a family where although they had their struggles, this just didn't happen to you and she certainly was not about to tell them. So when her sister mentioned that they had tried to phone her but the phone was making a funny noise, they never twigged onto the fact that it was because it was disconnected. And there were occasions where she got to the supermarket checkout and her cash card was declined, even though her husband had told her that the money was there when it wasn't, it had been spent elsewhere. She said that money is tied up with emotion, so when you are not doing well, there is guilt and embarrassment and shame that you should know better. Now, Linda is an intelligent and educated woman, and all up, she's ended up with a master's degree. And apart from taking maternity leave for each child, she has worked her entire life. But handling money was always a source of frustration. And if you've come from adversity, you simply don't know what you don't know, and therefore, you just keep playing with the cards you are dealt. When you are a parent, you can't stand the thought of not being able to provide for your kids, and she reached a point in her marriage where she thought, one of us has to be a little bit responsible, and it was obvious that it was not going to be him. One of them had to grow up and figure out the money thing, so in a way she channeled what her mum had also had to do. While Linda's husband would be happy with just a loaf of bread in the cupboard, this was not enough for her, so she got a bit sensible with money, she said, and she figured out what all the expenses were, and she started to set up automatic payments for every expense that she could, which mostly worked, except that sometimes he would use their personal bank account to buy supplies for his business, 
meaning she struggled to pay these set bills. So as a workaround, she then set up their banking accounts so that he could not access the money and she could then have certainty that all of their automatic payments would be processed and she could feed their three kids and keep the lights on. She said that there were never any arguments about this and he took his exclusion with really good grace, but it didn't mean that he changed his ways either, but at least she knew she could keep the home fires burning. He was quite happy to hand over to her the money he made. She said it was not like he would head off to the pub or that he had a gambling habit, but it was just part of his nature to give away the money he had and the more she became part of his family, the more she understood and accepted this part of his culture. An example she used was when she would give a well-thought-out gift to her mother-in-law, only to watch her give that gift away to someone that she thought would need it more. It's just a different way of looking at things, which Linda understands, accepts and respects, and why she understands her husband's generosity and could see why he was perfectly happy with the status quo. Because his father left his family and went away to work so that he could support them, there were many times during their marriage where Linda's husband would go away for several months to take other jobs, while Linda raised their three children and worked full-time herself. She said that there were some real gaps in his being around as the kids were growing up, but despite this, she always had a strong interest in making sure that her children were well-connected and could take the best of both worlds from both their Pākehā and Tongan families. In about 1991 and early in their marriage, when she was pregnant with their first child, they bought a two-bedroom shoebox in Auckland for about $77,000. She said this was back in the day when interest rates were high in the double digits, and about that time I worked out the rate was probably around 11%. They renovated the house and had two of their children in the house before actually running out of space, and they sold that place for $103,000 and she said they were excited to make some money on it. They bought a three-bedroom house which they again renovated, plus it was on a big section so they subdivided it, built a new home on the back of the site, and sold off the house at the front. She said that they didn't pay down their mortgage much at all, and the only money they made was entirely down to the house going up in price, but that difference between buying and selling didn't take into account renovation costs or interest payments either. She said it never occurred to her to pay down her mortgage. The bank told her what to pay, and that is what she did. She did recall that her mum was clear to her that she had to be mortgage-free by the time she retired, but that was light years away from her reality at that time, as she was far too busy raising kids. She said that when they transitioned from their first house to their second, the one good thing is that they didn't increase their total mortgage by too much, They didn't upgrade their house quality or lifestyle that much, unlike some of their friends, and the payments were manageable on her income alone. By this time, she was not reliant on her husband's income because he was working away so much and the money he sent home was quite irregular, and she thought of his income as being an added bonus if and when it arrived. As mentioned, there were lengthy periods where he worked away from home, and at one point he took a three-month contract overseas ending up in a place where many of his siblings and extended whanau were already living, and he got absorbed into that situation, and he just kind of never came back, which, given that he was used to family moving to other places, he never really saw it as a problem. Well, one year stretched to two, and then to three, at which point Linda actually called time on their marriage. Now, he was not happy about this initially. It came as a bit of a surprise to him that this situation was not working out for her but she said that he grew to accept it. And reflecting back on their marriage, she said that 
They had some amazing times together. They have three wonderful kids, each now in their early, mid and late 20s, and she would not change a thing. Today they get on really well and have a great relationship, and she still very much considers his extended family to be her own. He did eventually come home to New Zealand, about a year after their separation, during which time she had continued to live in the house with their children, and together they reached an amicable agreement as to how they would divide up their assets. They had always had an interest in the property prices around them, so after a bit of research they each, independent of each other, came up with a figure of what they thought their home was worth, and they both said 400000 And he said that he would like to keep the house and buy her out, so he went and arranged a mortgage so that this could happen. Once they paid off the mortgage of the $200,000 that was still outstanding on the property, they each walked away with $100,000, and this was in about 2013. She had lived in her own home since she was about 23 years old, so to be in her mid-40s and thinking about renting and dealing with a landlord and all that went with it was a very scary prospect that caused her quite a bit of worry. Therefore, Linda set about seeing if on her income she could afford to buy something for herself. She found banks intimidating to deal with. Once again, she referred to the emotion that is tied up with money and it felt like her coming cap in hand to a rich banker saying, please sir, can I have some money? So instead, she approached a mortgage broker to work with her and on her behalf. Her ex-husband had a lot of building experience, so he went with her on her house hunt, and she was realistic about what she could afford and was not looking for a palace, and she eventually found a two-bedroom, 1970s brick-and-tile home unit that felt exactly right. Plus, it was just 500 metres up the road from the house they used to own together which was not something they were aiming for, it just happened by chance. She had to tender for this house and ended up paying 410000 in about 2013, worrying as she did so that she was buying at the top of the Auckland housing market. She put down a $90,000 deposit, using the other $10,000 to pay off a car she had purchased, and she pretty much borrowed up to her limit to secure the property. Now, as we all know, Auckland house prices continue to rise, and within six months, she was actually receiving leaflets in her mailbox from real estate agents valuing her property tens of thousands of dollars higher than what she paid, which she said she found quite reassuring at the time. Now she was well and truly on her way financially, with just her youngest child living at home, so she made sure that she structured her money well and put everything that she could onto an automatic payment so she never missed a bill. When her income hit her bank, all of the automatic payments went straight out again, and she also did her food shopping straight away. Whatever was left became her go-out-and-have-some-fun money. She loved shoes, makeup, clothes, dining with friends, and interior design, and she could always spend every last red cent and didn't see anything at all wrong with that. By now she had left classroom teaching behind and moved into other roles, still in the education sector, and had also already enrolled in a teacher's retirement fund, which predated KiwiSaver. But she only ever put in a tiny 1% from her salary, and even when KiwiSaver did come along, she continued with this fund, but stopped and started her small contributions a couple of times when she had job changes. At the time we spoke, this fund had about $33,000 in it. It was only within the last three years that she has finally joined KiwiSaver, contributing 3% from her salary, to match the 3% from her employer and ceasing all payments into the other fund. In July 2019, 
It was to be this KiwiSaver fund that started to get her to wake up a bit more to her finances because she thought to herself, I don't even know where this money is or who my KiwiSaver is with. So she said she started to do a bit of digging around, starting by looking at her payslip and talking to the payroll department. But it turns out that for her, finding her provider was difficult to do. They didn't know who she was with, so she put it to one side and came back to the question later on, weeks later on. It turned out that when she had taken on her current role, she had been offered a range of KiwiSaver options, but at the time she didn't have a clue what to choose, so she had just ticked a few boxes and completely forgotten about it. Every now and again, though, she got an email from BNZ, so she figured that's where her elusive KiwiSaver was. So she went to the bank, but they could not find her in the system on that particular day. So she phoned the bank instead. Another period of time went by, another phone call to chase it up, and on and on it went. My thoughts on this is that the problem with money in New Zealand is that it is like learning a new language for many. So the slightest difficulty, and we are likely to put it to one side and worry about it another day. And that is what Linda kept doing, putting it to one side. So because the simple search for her KiwiSaver kept throwing up roadblocks, she kept putting it aside for another day. Now for the record, for anyone listening to this who does not know what fund you are in, you should know, and to find out it should only take one phone call and you should not have to have the runaround that Linda had, just get your IRD number out and phone the IRD on 0800 KiwiSaver and they will tell you what fund you are in. For more information on KiwiSaver, just go straight to the government website, which is ird.govt.nz forward slash KiwiSaver. Finally, in late 2019, she said it was like she suddenly woke up as if from a dream and realised she was acting like an ostrich with its head in the sand when it came to her money, and she decided that she needed to know everything about her money, and she needed to know it now. The simple act of finding which fund she was in had turned into a giant hassle, but she finally worked out she was in a BNZ balanced fund, which is not as bad as it could have been, if I'm honest. She had chosen a fund with fees of 0.71%, which is below the average for a balanced fund of 0.97%, and the returns had been 6.79% for the last 12 months, also below the average returns of 7.49% for a balanced fund, which is not so good. At least when she was ticking boxes when onboarding for her new job, she had not just ended up in a worse-performing default fund. The last time she looked at it was in December last year, and the balance was $10,500. But she said when we spoke in April that she has no idea what state the fund is in at the moment because she hasn't looked again recently. Because her balance is low, the drop won't be overly severe, I would have thought, so she need not be too concerned about it because it has 13 years to run and to recover. And I really encourage you to find your fund and spend some time deciding if it is the right one for you. After all, you hand over a percentage of your pay each week. Don't you want to know where that money goes and that it has been invested appropriately? I know I do. Another excellent resource when you are looking at your KiwiSaver is the Sorted website. So just go and search for fundfinder.sorted.org.nz forward slash check your current fund. So, with that question finally answered, she has decided to stay with this fund for now, but will reassess in the future, because at the moment she has her mind focused on paying down her mortgage. 
when she got her mortgage of $320,000, she put all of it on a fixed rate, and for the first two years, she just paid back what the bank told her to. She likes this arrangement because it's a fixed, automated expense, and she knows exactly what she has to pay. Once her bills came out each month, she just spent all the money that was left over, which she said she didn't perceive as a problem. It didn't occur to her that she could have elected to pay extra or that she could save and invest some of this leftover money. Nearing the end of her first two-year term, a chance conversation with someone who knew a little bit about banking got her thinking. This woman told Linda that if she told the bank that she was considering changing banks, that she could most likely negotiate herself at a lower interest rate than what the bank was offering and that when she did this, she should keep the amount that she was already paying on her mortgage each fortnight exactly the same. Armed with this information, she booked a meeting with her bank well in advance of her refinance date. But when she turned up, the person she'd booked with wasn't there. So she was a bit annoyed at this poor customer service and the fact that they just told her to rebook for another day, and they didn't really seem to care. So she thought about what her friend had told her. She phoned around a few banks and told each of them her situation, the debt she had, and she asked them what they would offer her if she were to change to them. And then she got back on the phone with her current bank, which is the ANZ, where the conversation started with them saying they'd just roll over their current arrangement and fix it for another two years. Now this got her back up. They were so blasé, and now that she had something to compare it to, she could see that they were not providing her a good offer. And she thought, blow this, I'll give it a go. Now by this stage, it was due to roll over the very next day and she said to the woman on the phone, I'm not sure if I want to proceed as I have a few other offers from other banks and she went on to detail what those offers were. Plus she said that she was fully prepared to change banks because she could see what other banks were offering was in her best interest. Apparently the banker panicked as this simple transaction just got more complicated. So after a brief time, the banker rang her back with a revised offer of a lower interest rate plus a 0% interest rate on her credit card and all up the terms were better than what those other banks had offered, which was a huge relief to Linda. So she locked it all in with ANZ and began to pay the same fortnightly payment as she did before, except this time because the interest rate was now lower, her payment was going further each week. In fact, she had taken five years off her mortgage because she had chosen to pay more than what the bank said she needed to. And all it took was a little research and a couple of phone calls. She said that she felt like a grown-up dealing with her money for the first time. So she had a win there and was starting to take a little bit more notice. Plus she could see that instead of being 74 when it was finally paid off, she would be 69. Carrying debt around her entire life from the age of just 23 and being 69 years old when she finally became debt-free, was starting to not sound like a good idea anymore. But even this realisation was not enough to jolt her into more action. As many do, she was just tinkering around the edges of her financial life, and she still had a low retirement fund balance and no backstop for a rainy day. So she let the new status quo ride for the full two years of her mortgage contract, and she never considered, even at this stage, paying more attention to it and paying more towards her mortgage. She had money left over at the end of each pay and she very much liked spending all of that money. When that two-year term rolled around, she tried the same scenario with the banks, but interest rates had crept up just slightly, so using a mortgage broker this time, she did the best she could. 
but she didn't get the savings like she did last time, so she just locked it in again and let it ride for another two-year term. In the first six months of 2019, she had started listening to a couple of podcasts and was listening to one where Brady, from Kiwi Girl on a Budget, you can find her on Instagram, was talking about her journey out of debt. And her story sounded a lot like Linda's story, and so many things resonated. Brady talked about Dave Ramsey and his seven baby steps, so she googled that and learned a bit about it. Brady and Dave Ramsey both mentioned the importance of knowing where your money is going and that you can control it just by simply having a budget. Linda took this on board and realised that although she paid her bills, she really had no idea of exactly what was coming in and going out, so she sat down for the very first time and created a budget for herself. She came out of this very first budget meeting with herself and said to her daughter, I have just realised that every fortnight, after all my bills are paid, I have $500 left over. She was in total amazement at this fact. This $500 was then being spent on clothes and hair and whatever took her fancy. She liked spending that money and it was extremely easy to do so. But her daughter took a different view and she got out a pen and paper, asked her mum how much she owed on her credit card, which was $1,400, and she scribbled down some notes. Then she said, very simply, if you paid $200 a fortnight onto your credit card, mum, you could have it paid off by Christmas. For Linda, this was a light bulb moment, and she struggled to put into words how much of a revelation that was. Who pays off their credit card in full? No one she knows. Seriously? No one she knew at that time paid off their credit card in full. They all have an outstanding balance and they all pay interest each and every month. It's just what you do. All of a sudden, for the first time, aged in her early 50s, she realised debt has been normalised but that it is not actually a good thing. While she had always made a payment each month, she never got the balance back to zero. It had just never occurred to her to do so. And even as I was writing up this podcast, I was thinking to myself that there must be a banker out there listening to this and muttering under their breath, God damn it, I think they're on to us. It is in a bank's best interest for you to never pay your credit card off because they make so much money out of you because of all the interest you pay. This is huge revenue for banks. When all those years ago the bank had offered her 0% interest for a year on her existing credit card, she never saw this as the opportunity it was to pay off her card without incurring more interest payments. She just spent as usual. At one point, she had maxed her card out at $5,000 and instead of paying it off, had rolled this amount into the mortgage. By consolidating a debt in this way, you never really teach yourself a lesson. You just sweep it under the carpet. She had then reduced the limit down to $3,000 because $5,000 felt it was just getting out of hand and that she could pay $3,000 back. But you know what? She never, ever did. Because we never talk about our daily dealings with money openly, she never spotted the disconnect between her thinking and her actions. But via podcast, she was now hearing people openly saying, don't carry debt, and here is a way to change your habits. And it came as a surprise to her that one of those people was her very own daughter who was living in her house with her and was apparently so sensible with money herself. Now, although she finds Dave Ramsey a bit full on, she does love his simple system of the seven baby steps, and she thinks he is totally right about it being a behavioural change that people need to make. 
From that day on, she said, that every time she made a $200 fortnightly payment onto the balance of her credit card and she saw the balance going down, she became positively reinforced by it and she paid it off in full by Christmas, just like her daughter had calculated she would. And now she no longer has a credit card. Brady said in the podcast, Linda Heard, that she made it her side job to go through the finances and find out where she could save. So Linda took a similar approach. She changed her phone provider and got a discount. She set a budget for food and refused to go over it. One of the key features of the Dave Ramsey plan is to build up an emergency fund of just $1,000. Not a lot of money, but it is enough to fight many financial crises that would have most people turning to a credit card. So Linda set about building this up as soon as possible. Apparently in Auckland every year around September, electricity supplier Vector pays out a dividend to all users And for her, it's around $300. You could choose whether it went on your power account or you could take it as cash. She had always chosen the money and just went and spent it on pretty dresses. But this time around, this went straight into building up that emergency fund to $1,000. She had also overpaid a household account, so she asked for the money back. And she also put this into her budding emergency fund. It took her just one short month to build up $1,000 which she then set aside in a bank account named Emergency Fund, and she vowed not to touch it. At around the same time in late 2019, she came upon this very podcast and heard episode number 34 called I'm Keeping the Dog, where I spoke to a woman called Tracy who paid off $94,000 in consumer debt. What Linda took from that is that small things make a big difference. Since then, she implemented having a budget meeting with herself one or two days before her fortnightly pay and before she can get her grubby mitts on it, she said. She tried spreadsheeting on her computer, but she found it overwhelming. But this time, she didn't give up and she found a solution that worked for her. By simply using an exercise book, she literally writes down her upcoming income and expenses, like her mortgage payment, food allowance, and amount she will spend on petrol in the next fortnight. This simple 10-minute exercise tunes her into her money. But a budget meeting of one lacks a component that some people need to motivate themselves, and that is accountability. She is a sister who has always had an innate sense of how to be good with money. In fact, Linda's own mother had noticed this early on when she said that people are just born the way they are, and that means how they deal with money as well. Linda's sister had tried to offer her help and support to her before, but nothing had ever stuck. So Linda reached out and asked her sister to be an accountability partner during this process. Now she is sure that her sister probably rolled her eyes because she had failed to follow the advice she was offered in the past, but this time is different. This time she is sticking to it. She made simple changes like when she was trying to build up her emergency fund to $1,000, and she spent $10 less on petrol than she had budgeted, or she would put that $10 saved into the emergency fund because small things, small savings, make a big difference. Each time she sat down, she factored in what was coming up that was variable or a one-off, like a birthday gift for someone or a dinner out for an engagement party. These things always used to trip her up and had her reaching for a credit card. Because her pay is fortnightly, the first week always used to go okay, but the second week always used to turn into a shambles because she just spent ad hoc and never planned for anything. She referred to how she finds Dave Ramsey to be quite blunt, too blunt sometimes she said, but hearing him say, stop acting like Christmas is a freaking surprise 
it really got her attention. She just needed to plan ahead and write down those things she knew were coming up. Now, although she cut a lot of frivolous spending out of her budget, she knew that if she made it too restrictive, she would fall off the wagon. So if friends wanted her to join them for dinner, she would factor it into her budget. And when she was out at a restaurant having dinner, she did scale back her spending and she did check in with herself or talk to herself in the moment by saying, do you really want another $10 glass of wine? She had a budget in mind before she entered the restaurant and this swayed her choices when she looked at the menu and she was doing a running total in her head all the time. She still had fun, she still enjoyed her time out, but there was absolutely no harm done in showing a bit of restraint and now the mindless spending was gone. Now, on a daily basis, she would check her online banking and compare that back to the budget she had created in her exercise book, and this just kept her focused and on track. Another example she used was going out for coffee. Every day, there are opportunities to grab a coffee, and she became aware that she was often buying a coffee that she didn't actually even want. She didn't feel like one. She didn't want to drink one. But because she was having a work meeting, grabbing a coffee became a default. But her internal monologue began to ask, do you actually even want a coffee? No? Well, don't get one. And she would drink a free glass of water instead. Remember what she had learned. All those little choices add up. So suddenly, via podcasts, people were talking into her life whose journey was different to what she had seen as achievable and whose journey was also desirable. For the first time in her life, she became excited about getting out of debt it became a highly desirable concept to her. Financial change is a winding road though and sometimes there are commitments you have made before you change your spendy ways and one of these prior commitments that was complicating her life further was an overseas trip with friends which she had signed up to before entering this journey. What to do? Well, she talked to her sister, her accountability partner, about the impending trip and decided that she would not consider pulling out But from July to December 2019, she would have to put a structure in place that would allow her to pay cash for this trip. Whereas previously she was spending $500 a fortnight on willy-nilly spending, her words, not mine, the chat with her daughter had her putting $200 of this $500 each fortnight towards her credit card. And with the remaining $300, she was starting to put $195 away each fortnight for her trip, still leaving her some play money. Today, Linda earns about $85,000 a year before tax, and she said she went from someone who only had $500 a fortnight after expenses to play with, boo-hoo, she said, to someone who only had $300 a fortnight to play with, boo-hoo, she said again, to someone who was actually, remarkably, paying everything down, setting up a $1,000 emergency fund, and she still managed to cash flow her way through other family events like birthdays and engagement parties, And she managed to save up for her trip overseas with her friends. And for the first time, Christmas 2019 was not a surprise at all. For the first time, she knew how much she could spend per person because she had allocated a budget for presents and she now had permission to spend on those gifts. She had a complete change of mindset and behavior from feeling sorry for herself for only having $250 a week to blow, boo-hoo, to someone who was covering all of her bases and was still enjoying life. Plus a mention from me in my weekly email where I said that during the COVID-19 lockdown we had slashed our expenses and were spending about $70 a day 
Well, this made her go and take a very close look at her own expenses, and she came up with the figure of $110 a day, which includes her mortgage payment. Now, the old Linda never would have been able to do that, because she simply wouldn't have given a jot, she said, plus she never tracked anything, so she has come a long way indeed. She said, a budget does not tell you you can't spend money, it gives you permission to spend, because you know you have allowed for it. Wow, that is a massive turnaround. Now she had budgeted a total of $2,500 for this overseas trip with her two friends, including flights, accommodation and spending money. So hands down, this is the most extravagant thing she has purchased for herself in the last 90 days. Using this total figure, she had worked her way backwards, which is how she came up with that figure of saving $195 a fortnight. She said she treated it the same way as she treated paying off her credit card, except this was saving and not debt but there was no way she was going to miss a single payment. And she was bang on track to do it. Having paid for the flights already, she had money set aside for the booked accommodation, and by the day they flew out, she would have met her budget exactly. She had created a savings plan and had executed it perfectly, absolutely perfectly. She was due to fly out mid-April, and we all know what happened in March, of course. COVID-19 brought the world to a halt including her trip away. So no trip for Linda, not yet anyway. Her and her friends have held their trip over until sometime in 2021 when things settle down. So it will happen. But here is the lesson. What a huge confidence boost to know that she set herself a financial goal and she achieved it. Shame she didn't get the prize at the end, but the money is still sitting in her bank account, earmarked holiday with my friends. Our conversation together was a winding path. So let's get back to that mortgage I was talking about. That two-year term was up in March this year. She got back in touch with the mortgage broker she had previously used and she said that she needed to do something different and really get after this mortgage and get it paid off in full, well before her current end date of 69 years old. She said that unfortunately he did the very basics and got her a lukewarm deal with her bank and didn't really take into account her new mindset around debt and it just left her feeling a little bit annoyed, so she started to explore her options, which led her to New Zealand home loans. She said she got a pleasant surprise that they do things differently to banks, and that they want to help put things in place to pay off your mortgage faster, so she switched to them. She now banks with Kiwi Bank, and whereas using a revolving credit facility is a large part of the New Zealand home loan strategy to pay down debt, she has kept that component of her mortgage small, at just $20,000 for now, and even that amount is split into three pots of $5,000, $5,000 and $10,000. The remaining $270,000 is fixed, meaning she knows her set fortnightly payments. She is managing to pay about $800 each fortnight onto her debt at the moment. Now any revolving credit facility is dangerous to a spender, and it is a tool that should only be used by people who have learned restraint and learned how to budget, Otherwise, you can just spend up to your limit every time and you will never pay down any debt. And let's face it, just 12 short months ago, that was not Linda. However, now that she is used to spending less than she earns and now she is used to not treating money as something to just get rid of each fortnight, she has stopped her impulse buying and is budgeting for the things she needs. Prior to this, New Zealand home loans never would have worked for her and I'm pleased that while she gets used to this way of banking, that there is only a small amount on revolving credit. They showed her that she can't be any worse off than her former bank 
but she could be a whole lot better off by using them. And they showed her that if she stuck to her budget, she could be mortgage-free and get this nine years at the age of 61, whereas it would have been 17 years or at the age of 69 if she had stayed with her current banking system at ANZ. When we spoke, this was a brand new banking arrangement for her, but she was happy with it so far. Was still getting her head around it though and was working with them to think through a couple of scenarios. For example, that $33,000 she had in her teacher retirement superannuation fund, if she put this on her mortgage, she could knock a further couple of years off, but I'm pleased to hear that the person she speaks with is not rushing her and instead they have decided to let this all bed down a bit and check back in a few months' time and see how she then feels about putting her super money towards debt or perhaps rolling it into her KiwiSaver fund instead. After all, retirement is getting closer too, and she needs to pay off debt and prepare for retirement. And it's a different way of banking. That $20,000 she has broken up into those segments. Her pay goes into one of the $5,000 pots, and the goal is to have a surplus of money at the end of each fortnight, which she can then push off into one of those other pots, and each of them will then quickly disappear they can then set her up with some more similar, smaller pots to pay off. So she is forever feeling a sense of achievement and is ticking off small chunks and small goals. She thinks of the person who looks after her at New Zealand Home Loans as her own personal finance trainer, and he keeps an eye on her and checks in on her. And she said he is a cool, calm voice of reason to help her get to the end goal as soon as possible, and she can contact him at any time and run scenarios past him. Like I said, they have agreed to check in in a few months' time over the superannuation question once she has fully settled into her new banking arrangement. And again, I think this is a great idea because, referring back to something Linda said earlier, if she pushes herself too hard, she may just fall off the debt-free wagon again. The big difference, she said, is that the bank has less interest in seeing you pay off debt, whereas New Zealand Home Loans wants you to be debt-free as soon as possible. I asked her the question, if she were given $10,000 right now, what would she do with it? She said it would go straight on the mortgage, no hesitation. That is her new focus. The original $1,000 she saved up is still in an emergency fund, and she now has the discipline to know what a want and a need and an emergency look like. In time, I hope that her emergency fund is built up to three to six months of expenses, saved up in cash and sitting in a bank account waiting to be used, should it ever be needed meaning that she never has to consider turning to debt in a time of crisis, which is pretty much the worst time to turn to debt. And if you ever wondered why three to six months is considered an appropriate amount, then look no further than the employment crisis faced by many due to COVID-19. Cash set aside gives you the ability to meet your financial commitments while you find a way to get back into work again, and it provides massive relief to know you have it there, ready and waiting. I asked her what were her three main financial habits now, the things that she just automatically does. And as I mentioned, number one, meeting with herself two days before payday. She does not want that money to hit her account without a plan. So it's a chance to have a pep talk with herself to focus her mind and get on the right page. Otherwise, a few days before payday, the sneaky thoughts start to come in like, "Mm, I wonder if Briscoes are having a sale. Her mind is constantly finding new and interesting ways to spend her pay. So she doesn't starve it, but she doesn't give it free reign either. She needs to address the urge because if anything is too rigid, she can't stick to it. She said, it's as the spirit moves. 
And if she doesn't put some checks in place, that spirit will move her right on down to Briscoe's. Now, number two, knowing her why and keeping it front of mind. She said she's quite a visual learner and is quite into arts and crafts and over time has been making a mood board for herself. Getting her mortgage gone will give her control and will let her travel more. So that is her why. Her mortgage is in the way of that goal. Her mortgage is just a bigger version of her credit card. So detailing this on her mood board keeps reinforcing her goal, which is to travel more. Now number three is to surround herself with like-minded people, which she said is difficult in her job, but the podcasts she listens to are great for that. She puts on a podcast to cook dinner, to walk the dog, to clean the house, and she always has a podcast on to keep her head busy. Mostly they're personal finance ones at the moment, but every now and then she goes back to interior decorating ones and true crime ones. And as a lover of podcasts, what would she recommend to you and I? Now, I'm not trying to blow my own trumpet, but she does love the Happy Saver because it's a homegrown New Zealand one. And the people I speak with are all relatable. And she said that there is always a nugget in each one because it's someone's actual story. Plus, I wanted those who have shared their journey on my podcast to know that you are helping others by sharing. So once again, thank you. The Dave Ramsey podcast often has people with enormous amounts of debt. And she thinks to herself, see, it could be a whole lot worse. But she also hears that there are people mowing through debts far higher than hers, and they have got this under control. They are talking about behaviour change and forget what society sees as normal. You just do you. The debt-free screams on his podcast help her plug into people who are achieving their goals, and you want to be plugged into that. And she also read one of his books, The Total Money Makeover, but correctly pointed out that if you listen to enough of his podcast, you actually get all of that information anyway. She enjoys cooking the books, but picks and chooses the ones that are relatable to her situation. And she also enjoys a blog by Nikki Beale, an Australian woman who was living pay to pay, had a family and woke up one day and realised things had to change. So she set about turning her situation around. One thing in particular was a pantry challenge that Linda did right at the time when she needed to cash flow something and come up with cash quickly and the only way was to cut down on a food expenditure. She always used to shop specials but lifestyle creep had snuck in and the grocery spend had snuck up. Her grocery budget was the only place she could see that she could cut. So using Nikki Bell's challenge off to the supermarket she went with a reduced budget. Formerly, she would have thought, poor me, but because she was doing a, quote, pantry challenge, she saw it as a game. Because it was a challenge, she went with such a different attitude and approach, and for her, reframing something gave her a completely different mindset. It took away the pity party at Pack and Save for Linda, she said. Oh, and out of interest, she allows $300 a fortnight for groceries for both her and her daughter. And while we didn't speak in detail of her children, Of this daughter, she did give me just a few details that I think are worth sharing. She received her first year of university tuition for free, and after that she decided to continue on and is now into her third year. She has lived with Linda for free throughout, and Linda sees this as a way to support her daughter in a practical way. Her daughter applied for and received a partial scholarship from her former high school and is now loaning money from the government to cover her course costs. She covers her own expenses like transport and personal items through working a part-time job throughout the year and as soon as she is able, she moves into full-time work in her holidays, taking whatever hours she can get 
and then using that money to pay for her education as best she can, and then she is using the student loan scheme for the remainder. Linda said that she has always had a sensible head around money, and I'm hoping she can get through her five-year course with as little debt as possible, and that as soon as she is done, she secures a great job and then wipes that debt as quickly as possible. As is often the case when people turn the corner with money, they start looking at a variety of options and opportunities which go beyond paying off debt. They start to think for the first time what to do once they get their loan balance to zero. With a little bit of knowledge that she is gathering at the moment, she is thinking of joining an investing platform, either Hatch or Sharesies, and setting up a $10 a week automatic payment that she will then go in and invest. To begin to educate herself, she has completed the free Hatch Beginners Investing course, which is a great wee resource, I've done it myself, and there are two reasons for this. She believes that knowledge is power, and it's giving her confidence with money that she never had before. This is a small amount that she can afford, while still keeping her absolute focus on getting rid of her mortgage, which is her main priority. But it will do a lot by giving her an education in how to invest in companies that make up the economies of both New Zealand and the US. And for the first time, she is thinking long term, which is her retirement, of course, which at this moment is just 13 years away. She is feeling good about her situation. And I wondered if that makes her look at others and want to try to help them wake up and take notice like she's been doing. Well, you won't be surprised to hear that it sure has. In the beginning, she didn't talk to anyone about it, but she has started doing it by dropping little bits about money into conversations, just testing the waters. Sometimes people's eyes light up and she is off and running and they can have a good chat, while others want to talk about one aspect of something that they might be working on. And she said she gently challenged her elder daughter, who is very much like her when it comes to money. She pays her bills on time, but everything else just disappears. She said to her daughter, Do you realise that on a good fortnight, you earn as much as I do? She said this actually shocked her daughter as she knew she didn't have the same high outgoings, which included a mortgage, as her mum. Linda said she could see her mentally lean into the conversation, so she started to share what she was up to and what she had managed to achieve. And she told her she was paying off her credit card, with her goal being to have it gone by Christmas, and that she had a small emergency fund of $1,000 in place, and that she was beginning to tackle her mortgage. And she told her the way to do it, to sit down and look at her money, create a budget and cut costs by figuring out if she is paying for something she no longer even wants, like a magazine subscription, for example. And another conversation Linda had was with her own mum, who was bemoaning the fact that amongst other things, Christmas had sneaked up on her yet again. And she listened for a while and then she thought, this is the same bullshit she used to say to herself. But she does now know that you can absolutely guarantee that an emergency is going to happen. You don't know what it will look like, but you sure as eggs know something will come up. So you best stop pretending that it's a surprise when it happens. Your car will fail a warrant of fitness at some point. Christmas is always on December the 25th. Stuff just happens. So she talked to her mum for quite some time. And although her mum genuinely believed the things she was saying, Linda actually challenged her because she felt that her narrative needed to change. She said to her mum that maybe she should sit down and look at her budget. She was gently challenging, which she would never normally do. And Linda said to me, you know how reformed people tend to do that? Get a little more zealous? It's because you can spot your own bullshit, she said. And I laughed because she was so, so right. So 
she thinks it's about finding where your ins are with other people and who you have influence over and being brave enough to take the first step. Her older daughter realised that it was not okay that she did not have savings and since their conversation she has apparently made some changes which is awesome. And I know that this daughter is working in an industry impacted by COVID-19 and that having made some significant changes, she is in a better position at this time than she would have been in had Linda never opened her mouth and shared her own experiences. She said of hearing each story in these podcasts I write, that the more you listen, the more it takes the emotion, the shame and embarrassment out of money. And if you are not doing well with money and say, I don't understand this, that it's someone's job out there to explain it to her. And she has managed to connect with those people via her daughters, her sister, and the guy who was helping her with her mortgage. If she says, I don't get it, they will explain it, and now she is not too shy to ask. So what about her money elevator pitch, a sentence that would sum up her approach to money? She said, everybody can be good at money. There are plenty of free things to help you, you just have to look for it. Ask if you don't understand. It does not mean you are thick. And what about her biggest financial triumph? The fact that when we spoke in April 2020, she had not skipped a fortnight of having her little budget meeting with herself and that she had paid off her credit card just before Christmas. She is rightly proud of herself. After paying off the card on the next payday, she gave herself a wee reward and bought some clothes. The basics were taken care of and she took her hands off the wheel for a fortnight Then she got right back on track. From July 2019 to April 2020, the behavioural change is the biggest thing she is proud of. This is the thing that will propel her forward and make the biggest change because during that time, her mindset and actions are changed, hopefully permanently. So what might her greatest financial flops be? She had to think what the worst one was and after a bit of reflection, she felt like there was not one thing that was a standout because there were many but it was more actually just keeping her head in the sand for far too long and the cumulative effect of that. She wishes she had been doing this 10 years ago or even 6 years ago when she first got the mortgage after her marriage ended because she would be in such a different position today. She looks at the future and knows that she does not have enough in KiwiSaver now and may not when it comes to retiring at 65, but she knows she will own her own home, have some in KiwiSaver and that she does not have to retire but can continue to work. The better she gets with money right now, the better that retirement will look. She wants her future self to thank her for the changes she is making now, and she said that her April 2020 self is already thanking the changes she began to make in July last year because they have already made a big difference in a short space of time. Righto, I'm almost done. Condensing a three-hour chat down has taken some doing, but stick with me. Uh, Before I wrap up, I have another quick message from Hatch, today's sponsor. Thanks again to Hatch for supporting the Happy Saver. They make investing in the world's most recognisable companies and funds easy and affordable. So to kick off your investing journey, head over to hatch.as forward slash the Happy Saver start investing. Now I'm not going to end this podcast by telling you that by some miracle Linda is now debt free. Nope, it's not that easy I'm afraid, and she still has a way to go yet. But the reason I really wanted to share Linda's story is because it just shows that it's never too late to change, and that while some people make rapid changes, others, like Linda, do it more slowly. But because change has come about slowly, I really think that these new lessons will stick and not fall by the wayside. 
several times throughout our chat, she used the phrase, it never occurred to me. And that is the thing, until you start to get some new information coming into your eyes and your ears, where you get to see another way of doing things, you are not going to change because the status quo is the status quo and you have no reason to change because doing so has simply never occurred to you. The thing I have noticed over the years with money is that you could tell a person something in five different ways, but it will still never occur to them to take note because for whatever reason, it just does not feel relevant to them. So that's why, although she has observed over the years that her youngest daughter is naturally good with money and a good saver, and that Linda's own sisters have always been good role models too, it still never felt relevant to her. It had never occurred to her to take note. But for many reasons, things just often start to line up. Linda referred to it as serendipity. And for whatever reason, she just reached a moment in time when she was prepared to listen to what she was hearing and take note and actually make some changes in her life. For her, it was hearing about Brady and her journey out of debt, and then tuning into others who were talking about how they handle money, and she just started to apply their tips and tricks to her own situation when she realized simple things like, yes, indeed, there are many people out there who pay their credit card off in full each month, or, newsflash, don't even have one. And Linda, of course, is now one of those people who does not have a credit card, which is an amazing turnaround. So I guess I would say that if you have an inkling that you think you should change, start to tune into what others are saying. And like Linda, try to find some information that teaches you something new. And for those of you who are good with money but are often frustrated by friends and whānau who are not, don't give up. Keep presenting information in a variety of different ways, but always in a respectful and kind way because you never know, one day you might say something and at just the right time, right when that person was ready to actually listen for the first time and take it from me, it's pretty cool to be part of that transformation. So thank you, Linda, for letting us have some insight into your transformation. And I think everyone listening to this will be willing you on to succeed and become debt-free for the very first time and definitely the last time in your adult life. So all the very, very best. So that's all from me this week. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please do hit subscribe and it will automatically update in your podcast app each time I release a new episode. If you want to get in touch, you can find me at thehappysaver.com and I would love it if you could leave me a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please do share it with your friends. Those are the best ways that people can learn about my podcast and I would love it if you would talk more about money with your own friends and help me continue to help others be better with money. So until next time, happy saving.